Hello everyone, welcome back to our study in Luke. We are in chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. It happened that when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. And Jesus answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent, and he took hold of him and healed him, and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you will have a son or an ox fall into a well, and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. Again, on the Sabbath, Jesus was stirring up wisdom. He went to a house of a Pharisee and was eating. While he was there, the Pharisees were eyeing him, probably for the purpose of finding something to accuse him of. While he was there, a man with dropsy came. What on earth is dropsy? It is a painful condition where your body has too much liquid in the tissues of the body, caused perhaps by cancer, liver, or kidney problems. There is a chance the Pharisees invited this man over to be healed by Jesus. It, if that was their reasoning, it would have been silly. Jesus had already healed on the Sabbath in their presence many times. Perhaps their anger and rage blinded them, as it does many who begin in legalism and jealousy. Jesus did something different this time to get to the core of the problem. He asked the Pharisees what they thought he should do. He turned the situation on them, and they were dumbstruck. Jesus healed the man and sent him away. Then he spoke to the Pharisees to clarify the lesson in their minds. If a child or one of their animals of labor fell into a hole, they would help it out, even on the Sabbath. If you have the capability to heal, to love, why not do it on the Sabbath? Jesus left them speechless. Verses 7 to 11. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests, when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus looked around and noticed that some people were picking out places of honor to sit at the table. The places of honor were the seats closest to the host. The closer to the host a guest was, the more honored the guest was. Jesus told them it was better to sit further away from the host because there may be a session of musical cheers where the closer guest would be humbled for being too close to the, to the host and the guest that had been humble initially would be honored publicly. It is better to be humble initially than be humbled later. In our time, the particular places of honor have changed, but places of honor still remain. We have many fighting to get the latest or the biggest cars, houses, gadgets, shows, etc., so others can see that they are high on the social ladder. The proud bring themselves so high that they have nowhere to go but down, because only God can be in the highest place. Whereas the person that is humble has nowhere to go but up, because he's so low. 
When we humble ourselves and come to Jesus, we are exalted as his children. But if we are prideful and do not come to Jesus for salvation, we are humbled for all eternity. Now, why is this important? The point of this truth is found in verse 11. All who exalt themselves will be humbled. This was not meant to be a get-praised-quick scheme. God does not call us to a masquerade of humility, but to true humility, not to think more of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less, or not even at all. God is not impressed with anyone's status, nor is he swayed by what others say. He exalts the humble and brings down the proud. Verses 12 to 14. And he also went on to say, to the one who had invited him. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers, otherwise they may also invite you in return, and that you will be and that will be your repayment. But when you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now Jesus spoke to the host. He told the host that it was easy to invite those who could repay him. Some would throw another party for the honor of having been invited to this host's house. Many show love by only giving when they can be repaid or simply to have others in their debt. This is not love. It is a means of manipulation to build oneself up. Instead, the host should be inviting the poor over, those that could never repay with their means on earth. This is when we minister to others. We are called to love others for God's glory, not for man's praise. When was the last time you did anything for anyone that could never repay you? Feed the homeless, give money to the poor, support an orphan, visit an orphan, adopt children, visit a widow. There are so many ways to love on these people, yet so many never take the opportunity because it is hard. Yet here we find out that we will be repaid in the next life. Where do you want to be paid? Verse 15. When one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Hearing Jesus' words, a guest at the party rejoiced at the thought of eating in God's kingdom. The Jewish people pictured part of eternity as a huge banquet with the Jewish heroes of old. Most Jews believed they would be there because of their lineage or because of their devotion to the law and tradition, neither of which can save. We need to remember that this was in direct contrast with Jesus' teaching. Yes, the kingdom of God would come in full view, but Jesus' message was that the kingdom of God had already arrived through him. Verses 16 and 17. But he said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. Jesus replied to this comment with another parable. There was a big banquet, and the host invited many people. Back then, a host would not give the time of the feast, just the date. Guests would agree to the date, and when the host tallied up the number of guests coming, he would prepare the meal and send servants to gather the guests. In case, in this case, each of the guests had already agreed to come on that day. Verse 18. 
But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. So the person giving the feast called for the invitees, but they all canceled. The first man used the excuse of buying land. Before land purchase was finalized, the land was examined, much like how we do a walkthrough of a house several times before buying it. But this person could have done this another time, especially since most banquets were held in the evening, which would give the guest no daylight to properly investigate the property. Verse 19. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. The second guest had a similar issue. He had bought ten oxen. One yoke of oxen was two oxen, and wanted to test run them similar to us testing a car out. Another thing that could have been done another day. Verse 20, another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. The last invitee's excuse was, I got married. This can mean one of two things. First, that he was about to get married. Weddings were never a surprise in Jewish culture, and even if by chance it was a surprise, he was still insulting the host by placing that before the invitation. Second, it is possible he was already married and wanted to spend time with his wife. Being newly married worked as an excuse from having to go to battle, in Deuteronomy 24.5, but not from a feast. Verses 21-24 to 24. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Interestingly, all of the excuses are pretty lame. This was a free dinner, not a lifelong commitment. They could have done all these things the next day or another day, yet they gave excuses. Instead, the master brought in the poor and weak into his house. These are the ones Jesus often said he came to save. These came to the banquet. The recurring theme is not everyone is going to heaven. The Jews were invited over and over, yet as a nation, as a whole, they denied again and again. Instead, the outcasts would come in their place, Gentiles or non-Jews. This is the kingdom of God Almighty, creator of all. No excuse is worthy. He is the most important person in our lives and nothing should be before him. Now, why is this important? This applies to us today. How many go through the motions and pretend to be saved when actually they live a selfish lifestyle? They only want God as fire insurance, not as their leader. The host brought the destitute from everywhere, but he would not allow the originally invited guests to enter their inn because of their rejection of the invitation. The Christian life is a feast to which all are invited. Will you come or will you cancel in favor of your earthly idols? Verses 25 to 27. Now when large cl- <laughs> now large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to them, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus gives us two hard but true sayings about following him. These words were said before a big crowd that was following him. This was definitely not a gimmick to keep the crowds with him. Jesus knew their hearts. The crowd did not follow out of love for him, but love of what he could do. Miracles, and some thought he would establish a physical kingdom, for example. Jesus said this for those that wanted to become his disciples or apprentices. He first says, we are to hate our family and our own life. What does this mean? Hating anyone is against God's law, so he's not calling us to hate anyone literally. He means that our relationship with him needs to be so vastly more important than all other relationships that the relationships we cherish with others, family, and ourselves seem like hatred in comparison. No relationship should come before or between us and God. The second thing he says may be even harsher. We cannot be his disciples unless we carry our cross. The cross was not the pretty thing it is today. Today it is a symbol used all over the world as something holy, even to represent salvation. It's commonly worn with no or little offense to any. In those times, however, the cross was an insult. It was the height of shame, the device by which a criminal was tortured for all to see. To carry the cross meant shame and death. Prisoners typically carried their own crosses to their death. So why is this important? Do we need to carry a literal cross? No, but since the cross was a sign of shame and death, we must be ready to face shame for Christ's sake. There is much shame involved in the Christian life as we are up against a world that hates the truth. Are you ready to die to your old self and live solely for him? Would you give your life up for him? Every day we must die to our desires to sin and to live our plans. We must submit all of our lives to his perfect plan for his glory. Verses 28 to 33. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up his, all his possessions. Jesus gives us two illustrations of devotion. The first is building a tower and calculating the cost. The second is going to war and determining the possibility of victory. In both cases, the person involved must weigh his options. Some have read this to mean that Christ is the king and the builder weighing us to see if we are worthy material. It seems this view defeats the purpose of the passage. None of us are worthy. When we come to Christ, we have nothing to offer. He transforms us into something worthy. This seems to be telling us 
that all who are considering following Christ have to count the cost. Those that want to follow Jesus must weigh the cost of that decision. What is the cost? Everything. You heard correctly, it's everything. Jesus must be our highest priority. He comes before all family ties, personal dreams, and even before ourselves. Coming to Christ, becoming saved is an easy thing to do. But at the end of the day, we sacrifice everything that we are. Absolutely everything in our lives must be subject to him. I don't think this means we are to live in a box and proclaim his words on a street corner, but I do believe we must be willing to give up everything we have. All our relationships, all our stuff, and our lives, if he calls us to a place where that is required. We must follow him no matter the cost. Verses 34 and 35. Therefore salt is good, but if even salt has become tasteless, what, with what will it be seasoned? It is useless, either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We see Jesus gives the final illustration to this teaching of discipleship. Salt is very useful in that it seasons and preserves food and also served as an antiseptic in that time. What makes salt useful are its properties. Without its flavor, salt becomes a rock, just like any other. These days, we have a pure form of salt, so our salt does not lose its flavor. In Jesus' day, they had impure salt, which could lose its flavor. Once that flavor was gone, the salt was useless. Well, how can we apply that to our lives? Like salt, we are called to be a purifying agent in the world, fighting against sin and our own flesh. We are to make others thirst for God through our actions and words, showing them we have found the truth and the ultimate meaning to life. If we are disciples, we must follow Christ with no reserves, willing to sacrifice it all for His glory and placing our relationship with Him as the highest priority in our lives. If we do not have this, we are of no value in service to Him. How is your devotion? Are you a true disciple? Now, just a final thought. We do these things to follow Christ, not to earn His favor, not to earn salvation. We do it out of a love and a desire to serve Him and a desire to please Him as we are now His children. Hey, if you have any comments or any questions about what we're talking about, again, we would be happy to hear from you. You can go over to our webpage, forthethirstysoul.com, and go to the contact section off of the tab on the top right corner. Have a great morning, day, afternoon, evening, and we'll see you soon.